Did you know that the 4th of July is on a Thursday this year? That's going to be a full weekend of fun out on the deck. Four days. But if your deck isn't what it used to be and you aren't using it for great family gatherings, you need to call my friends at All Weather Decks. All Weather Decks is a 24-time winner of the Angie Super Service Award. And they probably help one of your neighbors. Click on the map link at allweatherdecks.net. Call All Weather Decks today at 913-206-1974 or go to allweatherdecks.net and mention you heard it on 810. Call now and relax. Garrettson and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM and 94.5 FM. It is Tuesday, and it's another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony federal or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and Northeast Kansas for years. Also be sure to visit Kim Howard and Associates Agency at 150 Metcalf in Overland Park, or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. But if you call that number and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift, it will give you a free $10 gift card to Starbucks to use on whatever you want. Coffee, tea, breakfast items. It's your $10. All you got to do is call that number and mention their ad. Uh, you heard it here on The Shift, and you call that number at 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. The NFC Divisional Round is finally set after the Dallas Cowboys thumped the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last night 31-14. to Honestly, uh, 31 to 14 doesn't really do too much justice. Uh, that was an absolute blowout from start to finish, and it just cements the point that I made a month ago, two months ago. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were always a putrid, terrible, boring team. They were never good this year. And we fantasized about Tom Brady overcoming a two-score deficit in the final six minutes against bad football teams. Remember how much everybody freaked out about Tom Brady coming back against the Rams when the Rams were up in that game 16 to 3 or it was I don't even think it was 16 to 3 I think it was 13 to 6 and they found a way to come back in one final drive they're down 13 to 9 Tom Brady had to go the length of the field they won 16 to 13 and then we fantasized about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beating the New Orleans Saints about a month and a half ago when they were down 16 to 3 in the fourth quarter with 8 minutes to go Oh, he came back, and they scored with eight seconds left to win 17-16. And then once again, we fantasized about Tom Brady beating Trace McSorley in Arizona in overtime. I mean, what were we doing? Uh, Back then, what were we really freaking out over? That a 45-year-old quarterback could do that? Uh, Nobody is denying that Tom Brady is perhaps the greatest to ever do it. Seven Super Bowl rings, built a dynasty in New England, immediately won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. But I was always so baffled at people's fear of the Buccaneers in the playoffs. It didn't matter that it was Dallas, and Dallas hadn't won a road playoff game since the 90s. The Bucs were terrible. They were 25th in scoring in the regular season. So Dallas, to me, had to score more than 14 points, it felt like. That's all they needed. Now, early on, Tampa Bay's defense looked good, forced a three and out in 13 seconds into the game. But even then, I'm going, well, they're not going to score. 
The Bucks are not going to have that type of offense tonight to suddenly just look like a hot knife through butter. They had a 45-year-old quarterback who was completely limited. He averaged less than five yards per attempt, it felt like, last night. He threw the ball 66 times. 5.3 yards per attempt, so right around five. He was 35 of 66, and the Bucks scored 14 points. And people out there went, well, Tom Brady was top five in passing this year. Had over 4,500 yards. For a 45-year-old, that's incredibly hard to do. I would, in some cases, agree. But Tom Brady threw the ball a hell of a lot this year. You know, he, had the, he threw the ball in 2022. If I can get the exact number here. He threw the ball in 2022 733 times. 14 more than last year. 123 more than his first year in Tampa, 120 more than his final year in New England, and over 150 more times than he did in 2018 with New England when he won the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay's offensive game plan was terrible last night. When you are trusting a 45-year-old quarterback to throw the ball 65-plus times and win, I don't know what to tell you. But Tom Brady threw the ball a lot this year. And only had 25 passing touchdowns. His completion percentage was 66.8. Again, he he only averaged 276.1 yards through the air. That was the lowest he had had in Tampa Bay. The lowest he had had since 2019 with New England. 25 touchdowns, 9 picks. His quarterback rating was the lowest he had had since his final year in New England. And it was a boring offense to watch. They had a bad offensive line, and you know what? There's always going to be the excuse, right? 45-year-old Tom Brady didn't have a healthy offensive line. Well, yeah, that's a part of football. Did he have a more banged-up offensive line than he typically had in his career? Yeah. It just always amazed me leading up to this game that people were taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Why? How? What gave you any belief that Tampa Bay could win last night? Other than your criticism of Dallas. That Dallas is an underachieving football team. That Dallas is fraudulent. This year, there really wasn't one impressive win on their schedule. Seattle, maybe. Dallas in week one. And week one wins were so far away, and so many teams have changed from that point on. I mean, Dak left early in the game with an injury. But it was mainly Tampa Bay's defense. They put up 19 points. So Dallas and Seattle, two of their eight wins you could characterize as impressive because those were postseason teams. But other than that, they beat Atlanta, they beat the Rams, they beat the Saints, they beat the Cardinals, they beat Carolina. I mean, yeah, sweeping New Orleans a divisional rival is good, I guess. They went 7-10. Their quarterbacks this year were Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton. You can't convince me those were that great of wins. They were a bad team to watch. They were horrible offensively. And they really had some bad losses this year. You know, I think Tom Brady in his mind, we can always sit here and wonder why he came back. If it was really about giving himself another chance to win a Super Bowl, or maybe he just couldn't enjoy the retired life just yet. He felt like there was something left in the tank. I've always believed Tom Brady came back because he knew his division sucked. And he could get into the postseason 
with seven or eight wins, which is exactly what happened, getting in with a sub-500 record. And that alone would give him a chance to make another run of the Super Bowl. And he looked at teams like Dallas. He looked at teams like Philly. He looked at teams like the 49ers and went, those are good teams. Those are tough teams. But the NFC is going to be incredibly weak. There's going to be some average teams that make the postseason. The Minnesota Vikings are going to win 13 games. I'm sure he didn't predict that, but there probably wasn't a quarterback that really, really scared him other than maybe Rodgers, maybe Jalen Hurts. I don't think he was that fearful of Dak Prescott, but last night proved that Dak Prescott can be a very effective quarterback. That was Dak's best game of his career last night. He was nearly flawless. But Tom Brady came back for this type of season alone. They didn't need to be that good. They could get in the postseason. He'd at least give himself a fighting chance. But now it begs the question, what's the next move for Tom Brady? Right? I don't know if it means that he stays in Tampa, if he retires. I'll tell you this. His best chance at making the postseason again is staying in Tampa. People have floated out the idea of the Raiders. Why the hell would 46-year-old Tom Brady go play in the division against Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert twice a year? Like, Tom Brady has to win his division to get to the postseason at this point. He's got to stay in Tampa then because the NFC South is an embarrassment. He could go to the AFC South if he wanted to, play for Tennessee, play for Indianapolis, but now we're starting to see Jacksonville uh, could be a team that could run that division for a couple of years. They're young, great coach, good foundation. No, you might as well take advantage of the NFC South while it's still terrible. I mean, Tom Brady, to me, feels like he's going to come back one more year. He doesn't want to end his career on a blowout loss at home to the Dallas Cowboys. So next year, when I believe he returns, he can stay in Tampa, have a healthier offensive line, and go up against two or a quarterback twice a year like... I guess it would be Sam Darnold in Carolina unless they take a quarterback in the draft. You would have Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton again. Maybe the Saints go out and get a quarterback and then Desmond Ritter for the Falcons. That's your competition. You want to come back and play, win your division? You can do it that way. But man, it's hard for me to, I guess, convince myself as to why he'd want to play again, why it would be different. I mean, this year... Tom Brady lost to Kenny Pickett, P.J. Walker, an ex-XFL quarterback. He also lost to Jacoby Brissett. He lost to Brock Purdy. He lost to Desmond Ritter. I mean, four or five losses against either rookie quarterbacks, XFL quarterbacks, or journeyman quarterbacks. It wasn't very good this year. It wasn't impressive whatsoever. And... That's why I think Tom Brady can look himself in the mirror and go, I can't really see it getting that much better. What more do I need to add to my legacy? I won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. The last two years came up short in the Super or came up short in the postseason. But how is it going to get better as you age? Tampa Bay is an old team. They really are. And once Tom Brady leaves, it wouldn't shock me for Tampa Bay to kind of restructure their team. A little soft rebuild. Because a lot of guys, I think they need to ship off. You'd keep Mike Evans, but you probably need to start looking at some draft picks, finding your quarterback again, you know, replenishing that defense. I make some coaching staff changes. Last night, to me, though, 
was also a problem with the NFL playoffs because there should be a way you can get into the postseason if you have a winning record. You know, I think there should always be a chance at that, and I think that Seattle was that team benefiting from just sneaking in as a wild card team. And I'm not saying you shouldn't make the postseason if you win your division. No, Tampa Bay just took advantage of a bad division. But I think the seeding aspect needs a little bit of fixing. For example, the NFC side went Philadelphia number one, they're 14 and three. San Fran was number two, they were 13 and four. Minnesota was number three, they were 13 and four. Tampa was four at eight and nine. And then you have Dallas at 13 and four, they were the five seed. The Giants were nine, seven, and one. They were the six seed. Seattle was nine and eight. They were the seven seed. Tampa Bay should have been the number seven. I think if the NFL could fix up, change, alter their NFL postseason seeding, it should go by record, regardless if you win your division or not. So Philly would still get the bye, but Tampa has to go to San Fran. Minnesota would then host the Seahawks. Yes, they would host the Seahawks. Dallas would be the four, and they would then host the Giants, who would have been the five. I think that's fair. I don't think you should be rewarded a home playoff game just because you won your crappy division. And last night, I could only think to myself, though they didn't win their division, though they didn't get it with the wild card, Detroit would have put up a much better fight against Dallas. Detroit was on the outside looking in. Tampa Bay had no business being in the postseason, and it showed last night. That was a terrible team from a terrible division that snuck in. And yeah, I can rant about it a little bit. I can be pissed off because I think it's bad for football. That's rewarding mediocrity. That's the way it's been for a long time. We've seen seven and nine teams get in. We used to see eight and eight teams get in, host a playoff game against a team that won 11 or 12 games because they had a tough division. I mean, the NFC East has three teams left, three of the four on the the divisional side in the NFC. Philly, Giants, Dallas. 49ers are the only reigning team that's a non-NFC East team. But Tampa Bay last night got to host Dallas. And if I was a Dallas fan and they would have lost last night, I would have been furious because you won 12 games and had to go on the road to a team that had four less wins than you. I mean, it was very Tom Brady number one. Tom Brady for his entire career has caught so many breaks. Great defenses, great coaching, great weapons, bad divisions. Now, doesn't take away from his greatness. You still got to go out and win those games. You got to win those divisions. You got to win in the postseason. You got to beat Peyton Manning. You got to beat Patrick Mahomes. You got to beat Eli Manning. You got to win those Super Bowl appearances. You got to make big time comebacks against Matt Ryan. But nobody can deny that there was a large, large, large portion of luck and how Tom Brady was able to put himself in such great positions. I mean, I can't even think of his toughest competitor in the AFC East over that 20-year stretch. I really can't. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mark Sanchez beat him one time in the postseason. I mean, Josh Allen at the very, very end, and he was still incredibly young. In the NFC South, who was it? Who was his toughest competitor in terms of quarterback play? Drew Brees in year one? When Drew Brees had, what was it, a punctured lung, a broken shoulder, a broken collarbone? 
I mean, 8-9 and nine Tampa last night got to host a playoff game. And it just sort of exposed how bad they were. They really hadn't played a postseason team in the better part of two months, it felt like. I mean, the last half of their schedule was pretty much a joke. They did get the 49ers in Cincinnati. The games weren't close. So when they played postseason teams, they got thumped. Played Cleveland, lost. Played the Saints, barely won. Played Trace McSorley in the Cardinals, barely won. Played Sam Darnold in the Carolina Panthers, barely won. Played Desmond Ritter in the Falcons, lost by two touchdowns. So when they were tested by postseason teams, it wasn't close. Remember, they led big against Cincinnati. Then I think Cincinnati went on a 30-some nothing run. It was 17 to nothing, and you look up and they had a 34-17 lead. 34 unanswered points by Cincinnati. That shows you how bad they were. They were never a good football team this year. And people tried to persuade you, get you to lean one way or the other and go, well, it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady in the postseason is always scary. That team never scared me because they were so limited offensively. They weren't going to beat you down the field like they did in 2020. They weren't going to beat you down the field like they did in 2021. Everything was in front of you. And another factor of that team, they couldn't run the damn ball. They were the worst rushing team in football, it felt like. And Leonard Fournette wasn't even used that much last night. And Troy Aikman said on the broadcast that they were resting him up in the second half of the schedule for this postseason appearance. I find that hard to believe. I just don't think they, I just don't think they could run the football. And they put the ball in the hands of a 45-year-old quarterback and said, throw the ball 60-plus times. I mean, you know how unfathomable it is that he threw the ball 66 times last night? Talking of Tom Brady. And they scored 14 points? 66 times. He had had over 60 attempts, and Tampa Bay was shut out. That is nearly impossible to do. 60-plus attempts, and Tampa didn't have a single point up to that point. That's how bad Tampa was. They were not well coached, no running game, bad offensive line, and their defense couldn't bail them out against good teams. They could bail them out against bad teams, against New Orleans, against Carolina, against Atlanta, their own division. Against the Rams, their defense showed up. And then Tom Brady would have one drive at the end like he'd done many times in his career, and people tried to jump back on the bandwagon. Said, oh, they're going to do it. They're going to make a run. How fitting would it be? They were never good. And Dallas isn't a world-beating team. They just showed last night they are miles ahead of Tampa Bay. Their defense is much better. Their offense is much better. Their offensive line is much better. I mean, it was so easy to tell last night, which is why I saw the spread being 2.5. I said, that's a joke. That's an absolute joke. This game was not going to be close. And you could tell that in the first quarter. Now, Brett Maurer made that game a little bit closer than it had to be. I mean, four missed extra points, five in a row dating back to his last game against Washington. I've never seen anything like that. That was the case of the yips. It wasn't more so talent at that point. It was just yips. You missed one, feeling nervous. Missed two, it's over at that point. You're not making another one. Now, finally, he made his fifth attempt, and it begs the question, too, What's Dallas going to do about their kicking problems heading into play? The San Francisco 49ers, the hottest team in football here this upcoming weekend. They do have a problem there, but other than that, Dallas was flawless. And I hate that I had to spend so much time on Tampa Bay criticizing them and not credit Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy, C.D. Lamb, Micah Parsons, and the entire Dallas Cowboys team for pretty much dominating a team that some people were scared of because they had Tom Brady. I don't believe that's the last time we've seen Tom Brady I don't see it getting much better, though, in terms of on-the-field play. Father time is undefeated. Tom Brady will be 46 in August. If he wants to play again, he better just stay in the NFC South. 
He goes to the AFC side. He's not making the postseason. But Dallas, a winner, 31-14 last night over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They move on to the NFC Divisional run after their first road playoff win since the early 90s. They will get Brock Purdy and the Niners on Sunday, so the entire divisional round is set. It'll be the Chiefs and the Jags on Saturday at 3.30 on NBC. Chiefs an 8.5-point favorite, the over-under at 53. The nightcap on Saturday will be the Eagles and the Giants, the one versus the six. Eagles a 7.5-point favorite, the over-under at 48. That'll kick off at 7.15 on Fox. On Sunday, it'll be the Bills at home, Orchard Park, against the Cincinnati Bengals. That'll kick off at 2 p.m. on CBS. The Bills, a four-and-a-half-point favorite, the over-under at 48. And lastly, the nightcap on Sunday, the Niners and the Cowboys, the two versus the five. Niners, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The total in that game is 46-and-a-half. That'll kick off at 5.30 on Fox. Aside from four missed extra points, Marco, was it really that shocking to you that a bad football team got demolished last night? Or were you still holding out hope that it's Tom Brady, it still could be pretty close? Um, I shouldn't say, I wouldn't say hope, but just holding out that thought in the back of your head uh, because that's what happens when you go up against Tom Brady, um, a Tom Brady-led team, is that you can't forget about the quarterback on the other side and what he's done. So um, I guess I was... Not surprised because of just how Tampa Bay's season had started, like you mentioned um, in your monologue during during the stretch of the start of the season. Tampa was suffering from injuries, kind of like Baltimore was last year. They were losing offensive alignment left and right. Was able to um, activate Ryan Jensen last night, who I remember we were doing the show when uh, doing the show back in August or July when the news broke that he had. Uh, suffered a season-ending injury, um, only to bounce back for one game in the postseason. But um, So, yeah, I think that kind of knowing that they were the weak link, being a below 500 team coming out of the arguably the weakest division in all of football, um, it was more so it wouldn't it wouldn't have been surprising if the Bucks won just because of just because Cowboys not winning a road playoff game for thir- for thirty years, um, and then of course what we what, what you said with it being Tom Brady, it wouldn't have surprised me if the Bucks won, but I guess um, I would have been more shocked if it would have went that would have went that way because I figured Cowboys would handle business, but I mean. How many times have we seen them not do that exactly. when we when when it's expected of them? You know, Dallas, they did look last night that they are a team that could cause some problems for the 49ers, could cause some problems for the Eagles or the Giants again. But if Tampa Bay would have moved on and played, I guess it would have been San Fran as well. I mean, that game would have been more of a blowout than it was last night. But good for Dallas. If you're not a Dallas fan, I think it's a little bit better than seeing Tom Brady move on to the divisional round. Will that be the last time we see him take a football field? I'm going to go no. I think he comes back one more year, and I think he stays in Tampa. Could be wrong. I've been wrong on it before. I was wrong when he retired and said that would be the last time we saw him because he came back, what was it, a week later, came out of retirement. 
But hopefully when he retires, he retires for good. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, massive showdown in Manhattan tonight. It'll be the Sunflower Showdown between Kansas, ranked second in the country, and Kansas State, ranked 13th in the country. What will we think happens? We'll tell you about it next on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Big game tonight in Manhattan between Kansas and Kansas State. The first time these teams will meet this season going into the game. Kansas, a two-and-a-half point favorite. The over-under at 147-and-a-half. You can listen to the game on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Some pregame that'll be starting, I believe, at 5 p.m. or 4.30 or 5 p.m., you'll be able to hear Brian Haney on the call there. If you're watching it on TV, it'll be on ESPN tip-off at 6 p.m. between the 16-1 Jayhawks and 15-2 Kansas State Wildcats. We talked a little bit about yesterday uh, Kansas's game against Iowa State and K-State's game against TCU, but this one just has a much different feel at this point in the season. Uh, in a perfect world, if you're a Kansas State fan, you would have beaten TCU this game would have been probably number two versus number six in the country and would have been one of the more anticipated matchups in college basketball. And we've already talked about how great of a job Jerome Tang has done. We know how difficult it can be to go in and play at Bramwich Coliseum. No matter how good or bad K-State is, that place is going to be full of venom, angry fans. But an interesting tidbit to point out before we dive into this game. Jerome Tang had his press conference yesterday. And he talked about this fan base. And he more importantly talked about this fan base and why they would show up. He doesn't want the crowd to be packed because they hate KU. He wants the crowd to be packed because they love K-State. But there was a few sentences in there that have given some more ammo to both sides. Jerome Tang using the words rent-free. So without further ado... Let's hear what Jerome Tang had to say about this upcoming matchup with Kansas. My message to our, our students, okay, because that I don't want them to show up to the game and yell and scream, and I don't want our fans to, to show up to the game because they hate the other team, right? I want them to show up because they love Kansas State. Right, Our guys, every guy on our roster, they didn't pick this school because they hated somebody else. They picked this school because they love us as a staff, they love this community, and they love this university. And I would be real interested to see how we can really change this thing around if, our, if we're motivated by love right, rather than by hate. And uh, I just feel, and I know I'm going to upset some people, I feel like uh, we the Kansas State community and family allow them to live rent-free in our heads way too much. Okay, this game, it's, it's one game in the conference. If we win, we get one win. If we lose, we get one loss. That's it. I, I came to win, try and win a Big 12 championship and win a national championship. Okay, and uh, the year we won the national championship, we split with these guys, right? And so I, I'm... That, that that's 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 my thing. I, I let, let let's show up to the game because we love Kansas State. Let's show up to every game 
because we love Kansas State. Let's pack Bramlage and make it the octagon of doom because we love Kansas State, not because we hate somebody else. There was Jerome Tang, head coach of the Kansas State Wildcats, talking about this game, previewing this game, and what he wants from the home crowd tonight. Uh, a couple of different things I want to say about this. Number one, it doesn't matter what Jerome Tang is going to say. Uh, the minute those students fill the stadium, the FKU chants will be starting. That place will be rabid. But I don't have a problem with that. That's a rivalry. That's college basketball. We saw with Missouri and Kansas this year. It was a great environment. It wasn't a close game, but those students were ready to go. That's a part about being a college student, though, too. It's fun for them. Now, uh, you may think some things are taken too far. I know for the last decade or so it's been debated what's classy, what's not classy, the FKU chant. Some KU fans say, I don't mind it because it shows that you care about us. You care about this rivalry. You know, when you chant FKU when you're playing you know, Southeast Missouri State, it shows that you are constantly focusing on the University of Kansas. But it also adds a great element to a rivalry. You know, K-State fans should not be walking into the stadium tonight with open arms to Kansas. It's supposed to be rabid. It's supposed to be loud. It's supposed to be full of venom. And I don't think Jerome Tang said anything wrong. I think that was a very important point to point out. He's coming from Baylor, as he as he mentioned, in the COVID year. They won the national championship that year, and they split with KU. He views it as you know just another game on the schedule. Now, you can put a little bit more behind the rivalry aspect because to a lot of people in Manhattan, a lot of people in Lawrence, a lot of people everywhere in Kansas, this game means just a little bit more. It's bragging rights. You want to show that you are superior to your rival. And for the last decade, Kansas has just dominated this series. Hell, for the last 100 years, Kansas has truly dominated this series. But just one win changes things in terms of that season's outlook. You know, if you're KU, you are 30-4 and four in your last 34 games against Kansas State. Now, all four of those losses came in Bramlage. Now, after a year passes, two years pass, you know, you kind of forget about it. You know, the Beasley game, the Poland game back in 08, KU went on to win a national championship this year. But you remember it. You know, the year where Andrew Wiggins, Wayne Selden, Joel Embiid was there. He lost that game as well. The year the Morris twins were there and Tyrell Reed and Brady Morningstar, K-State won by a lot. You remember that game as well. And you also remember the Cartier-Jara dunk when it was the Diedrich Lawson, Devon Dodson, Quentin Grimes team. Those are the four games right there in the last 10 years. Or I guess 15 years it would have been. So those type of losses stick with you. Now, if you're a KU fan, you remember every single one of those losses. If you're a K-State fan, you remember every single one of those wins. Now, there's wins that KU's had at the Allen and Bramwich you don't really remember. They weren't that close. I mean, can you tell me anything about KU's COVID win against K-State in Manhattan that year? You can't. It was a blowout, I know that. You know, I think K-State had like 41 points in the game, but they were not a good basketball team. Tonight, you'll remember this game. Last year, you'll remember that game. KU trailed by 16 in the second half and found a way to win. You're supposed to be chippy. You're supposed to be cocky. That's what you want in this game. You know, Jalen Wilson has always looked at K-State differently, and I think it's because the guys that were there before him. You know, it was great for KU last year to have local guys, Ochai Abaji. You know, guys that have been around the program a long time, Chris Tehan. Mitch Lightfoot. You have guys that truly care. Dewan Harris had been there before, had played in that game before. You don't like Kansas State. You don't like the students. You don't like the fans. You don't like the booing. You don't like them chanting FKU. And it gives you a little bit more juice 
And that's why when Jalen Wilson was asked earlier this week, you know, what have you seen on K-State? He goes, I haven't really paid that much attention to him. When I see K-State pop up, pop up, I don't click on them. No, I think they're better. They have confidence that they can win now. But there's still a little bit of animosity there. You know, last year when KU won in the final seconds, they're waving goodbye to the crowd. You want that in a rivalry game. When K-State's won, you're rushing the court. Now, obviously, you want it to be safe. Not like the year where Jamari Trailer was body-checked by some fan. I already forgot his name. And you want the players and coaches to be safe in that matter. That's what should happen in a rivalry. It should have some venom to it. Now, what K-State fans likely didn't appreciate hearing from Jerome Tang is he used the word rent-free because in today's world with social media, that is one of the, I guess, biggest jabs you can take at another team. When they're talking about you a lot, they hate you, and you say, well, you just live rent-free in our mind. You're like the ex-girlfriend, the ex-boyfriend, whatever you want to say. And K-State and KU have played this stupid game of, well, you know, you don't mean as much as you think. You know, KU fans, they'll say, well, K-State fans are always thinking about us. No, that's not true. This is a rivalry. You're supposed to think about your rival. KU fans, they care about K-State. They care about this rivalry. Vice versa. Are there times where some fan base or one fan from the fan base jumps over the line? Absolutely. That's a part of a rivalry, though, which we keep going back to over and over and over again. This is a great matchup for the state of Kansas because I want to compare it uh, to something I said months and months ago about the state of football in Kansas. That this state benefits, this radio station benefits, when those two teams are good. Better ratings. More to talk about. This game just means a little bit more. Now, KU and K-State this year in Manhattan got a primetime kickoff on Fox. KU was 6-5. and five. K-State was going for a Big 12 title. That's a great game. Tonight, though it's still early in conference play, this is K-State's chance to go, we are truly a Big 12 title contender, which nobody could have envisioned, predicted, when they were slotted at the bottom of the conference in the preseason standings. Nobody could have thought, predicted, they would beat Kansas. So yeah, the pressure is all on Kansas tonight. It really is, because K-State right now is enjoying an overachieving year. Nobody can deny that. This K-State team was not supposed to be 15-2 and in the top 15 at any point this year. Kansas was not maybe supposed to be top three, but hanging around the top 10. They still had experience, they had talent, they had five stars in that lineup like they always do. But tonight, the pressure is solely on Kansas. You're in Manhattan, Bramwich Coliseum, rocking environment. I think, fortunately for Kansas, this won't really be a a shell shock type of atmosphere. They've played in it before. They also played in Columbia this year. And I would argue there was more venom in Columbia than there will be tonight in Bramwich. That was Missouri fans, students, alumni's first chance to host Kansas in over a decade. K-State did it last year. And we saw how loud, we've seen how loud this place can get. It's going to be rocking tonight. Now, if you're Kansas, it's about taking the crowd out of it early. The reason they just dominated Missouri from start to finish was because they took the Tigers out of it early. You take the Tigers out of it early, that crowd out of it, they can't play with that juiced up crowd. They'll try to have a couple of moments. Now, an alley-oop dunk, a quick 6-0 run to get back into the game. But if you stay calm and poised and you do not let Kansas State hang around in the first 10, 15 minutes, you should be fine in the second half. Now, K-State, no matter if they trail by 20, 15, 10, or 5, they are going to make a run tonight. And it's about weathering that run. Even in that game against Missouri, 
I think at one point KU led by uh, 27 or 28 points. That game got cut to about 15. Now, still a massive deficit, but you gave the crowd a reason to get back into it. Then it was about regrouping, finding a way to silence them once again. This game is going to be closer, I think, because K-State is very good defensively where they do lack, and this is something to absolutely point out. They are not great in transition defense. KU is exceptional in transition offense. If K-State's not hitting tonight, if Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson are not on tonight, you're going to get it out and run. And I'm sure Bill Self has already preached that to his starting five. If they get a bucket and it goes in, you're taking the ball out of the net before it hits the floor and you're flying. Because K-State's not that great in transition defense. You get you into half-court defense, they'll slow down your offense a little bit. But this should be an absolute blast tonight. Now that's KU's offensive game plan here. Defensively, I think it's pretty simple. I don't need to do a deep dive or bring up any tape on what KU needs to do. It'll be Dewan Harris on Marquise Noel tonight. It'll be Kevin McCullough on Keontae Johnson. Maybe Jalen Wilson from time to time on Keontae Johnson. But those should be the matchups. And it's great for Kansas that their two best defenders match up size-wise with K-State's best scores. If you're Kansas State, kind of flip side here. No, you really want to come out and punch Kansas in the mouth. Get them on edge. Now, just because you punch Kansas in the mouth doesn't mean they're going to lay on the ground. We saw in Lubbock this year against Texas Tech, the Red Raiders came out and sought Kansas right between the teeth. And KU got up pretty quickly. And they ended up leading by 7.5. They trailed at one point by 7 or 8 in the first half, led by 7 or 8 at half. So just because you get hot, just because you're rolling early on, you got to keep your foot on the gas pedal. Last year, there wasn't a game I could recall other than the Michael Beasley team that started a game that hot against Kansas. Nigel Pack, I think, was 7 of 7 in the first half, something like that, from three-point range. He could not miss, and he did not miss the majority of that game. Hell, I would probably say the 40 minutes, he maybe had a stretch of 30 seconds or 45 seconds where he missed back-to-back shots. Nigel Pack was ridiculous in that game against Kansas last year. Different team, different style of play. K-State is great at scoring around the rim. They've got more height and length than Kansas. They've also got guys that are maybe not as experienced as these Kansas players. Marquise Noel is experienced. He's got two years of Big 12 play. Keontae Johnson, I'm going to give him that experience because he played in the SEC with Florida. But the rest of their starting five, a lot of those guys didn't play big-time minutes. You know, Cam Carter didn't play a lot of minutes. I believe it was at Mississippi State where he came from. You know, Eliola or Iola, no, he, if he's going to be starting in place of David Gasson, who I'm still not sure if he is 100% healthy for tonight, now that's a guy that is experienced, hasn't played at the Big 12 level except for this year. Now you have a guy like Naquan Tomlin, freakish athlete, pro prospect, as Bill Self pointed out. No, he's a guy that doesn't have a ton of experience playing at the Big 12 level. A lot of these guys, this has been getting their feet wet the first five games. You're 4-1, and one, one loss to TCU. But the Big 12 is about handling some of that adversity. When you face those top teams, how much does it shake you up? Right, TCU drop-kicked the Wildcats on Saturday. And that was after Everything this season had gone flawlessly. With the exception of losing to Butler on the road at Hinkle Fieldhouse, which it's a road loss. Road non-conference loss. Bleep happens. And the Big 12, get kicked around a little bit, 
it can shake you up. But I believe in K-State's coaching staff. I believe in this veteran group. I do not think they're even going to be thinking about that game on Saturday. Not even close. And for Kansas, they're not thinking about Iowa State anymore. They're not thinking about their close games in conference play. It is a new season tonight. That's how big this game is. If you're Kansas and you beat Kansas State tonight, I don't want to say the Big 12 is wrapped up because you still got to go play in Waco, in Austin, in Ames. You got to play TCU in Fort Worth. You're going to have four or five losses on your conference schedule. But a lot of those chaotic, hectic, hostile environments, they're out of the way. You get Manhattan out of the way, Lubbock out of the way, Morgantown out of the way. Those trap games. This is not a trap game. This is Kansas's one of Kansas's biggest games on the schedule. Nobody can deny that. Even when K-State is not very good, it's a big game on the schedule. Because if you beat K-State here, you'll beat them in Allen Fieldhouse. You do not want to take for granted beating a team like Kansas State in Manhattan in this environment. Should be a fantastic rivalry showdown tonight between the second-ranked Kansas Jayhawks and the 13th-ranked Kansas State Wildcats. Kansas at 6-1, 5-0 in conference play. K-State 15-2, 4-1 in conference play. The Jayhawks spread is now down to 1.5 in favor of the Hawks over under 147.5. Tip-off at 6 p.m. You can listen to that on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Marco, before we head to break, where are you leaning for this game? Of course, it's really a true pick at this point. Hostile environment. KU has played well on the road this year. Their only loss was in a neutral site game in the Bahamas against top 10 team Tennessee. K-State coming off a big loss to TCU. KU had just handed Iowa State its first conference loss. You confident in Kansas tonight winning another big one on the road? Or does K-State pull off a shocker in Jerome Tang's first game against KU as a coach of the Wildcats. Tell you what, I think Kansas State, uh, I think they're due for one at home, uh, although Nigel Pack, as you mentioned, was the pulse to last year's uh, last year for K-State at home in this game. Um, if you're Kansas, you like that TCU, you like, you're, you're going and you're studying the ways about TCU played against Kansas State, seeing how effectively uh, they were able to beat them in that game on Saturday. Uh, but I'll lean towards Kansas State covering the plus two uh, tonight at home, protecting home court advantage. I think it will be a thriller. Maybe we'll get some overtime tonight between the Cats and the Hawks. But again, that'll tip off at 6 p.m. Listen to that on Sports Radio 810 WHB. We'll take our final break of the show. When we come back, we'll wrap it up with some factor fiction next on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Welcome back into the shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Let's wrap up the show with some fact or fiction. Five questions, five takes, and under five minutes, Marco, fire away. Jack, fact or fiction, Tom Brady plays in the NFC South next season. I mean, I said in the opening segment that I believe Tom Brady's going to play next season. It would not be that smart of him to go to the AFC West. would not be smart to go back to the AFC East. AFC South would make sense. I just think a lot of those teams are just going to go in more of a younger direction. I think, if anything, Indianapolis would go after Derek Carr if they wanted to sort of have their stopgap quarterback. I think Tennessee either goes with Malik Willis or they go through the draft again. Jags have Trevor Lawrence. And Houston Texans are definitely going to be going with a Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. So it doesn't make any sense there. And the NFC side, not getting a spot in the NFC East, 
not getting a spot in the NFC North. He'll have to stay in the NFC South if he wants to play again. I think he'll go back to the Bucks for one more year, so I'll go fact. I think he will play in the NFC South next season. Factor Fiction, the NFC Championship game will feature two NFC East teams. I just don't think Dallas is going to get past the 49ers. I think Dallas really flexed their muscles last night because the Bucks were so bad. The 49ers are the hottest team in football, and that defense has the quote-unquote Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield type of knockout punch, the George Foreman knockout punch. It's just ridiculous the way the 49ers have been playing with a Mr. Irrelevant pick as their quarterback. And for Dallas, as good as Dak Prescott plays, it just feels like he's then due for a bad one. And that was a career game last night for Dak Prescott. I do not think he plays as well against the 49ers, so give me the Niners and the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. Fact or fiction, KU holds Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson to under 20 points each tonight. I think Kansas State gets one of those guys with 20-plus because they take the most shots, and I think this will be a high-scoring game tonight, and also for the fact that K-State's depth is not very good. Other than maybe Desi Sills and Naquan Tomlin, those are the only two guys in my mind that I think can get into double figures. Ishmael Massoud, if he's firing from deep and he hits his first two or three, then maybe. But I do think at least Marquise Noel or Keontae Johnson gets over 20 tonight, so I'll go fiction. I don't think KU's defense holds both those guys to under 20. Factor fiction, K-State leads KU at the half. Last year they led by 15, I think at half. I believe it was 50-35. to 35. Tonight, though, I'm going to go fiction. I think KU leads just barely at half tonight. Uh, I think it'll be around the 30s. I don't know if you guys are into betting uh, totals at halftime. I see it being around 33, 31, something like that at half. But for K-State to lead at half, they'll really have to shut down KU's offensive approach, especially in the paint with guys like K.J. Adams and Jalen Wilson. But I think the Hawks lead at half tonight, so I'll go fiction on that. All to talk about Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, you got – Guys similar on the other side for for KU that I think you got to worry about also just as much. Yeah, I think that you know KJ Adams is going to have another big game for Kansas tonight. I think he will take advantage of of a guy like Naquan Tomlin. I think Jalen Wilson will have a better performance tonight. And I think a guy like Grady Dick will have uh, again building off a performance like he had against Iowa State. Lastly, factor fiction: the Chiefs sacked Trevor Lawrence more than three times Saturday. Um, the offensive line of the Jags is mediocre to me. Uh, Chris Jones, I believe, still does not have a postseason sack. He is absolutely due for one. I think he gets one on Saturday against the Jags. More than three, though, I'll go fiction. I think they get around two or three against that Jags offensive line, which still should be enough to limit the Jags' offensive approach. There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City.